right, so this is the EricSwanRacing.com podcast. Uh, this is number 106, I believe, and we, today we have Mark Keown, and uh, just looking to talk to you and uh, get your story and just have a conversation. So uh, you're in Tennessee, I believe? Yeah, that's right. Um, in Tennessee, I guess, first of all, um, it, it's my last name is actually pronounced Cowan. That's pretty oh. common because it's, I mean, it's not phonetically correct, I guess. Um but yeah, that's that's a that's a common common thing I get. So and Mark um, Cowan. Yeah, that's right. All right. So but yeah, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. So And how do you like the weather down there now? It's pretty humid this time of year. It it is. Today it's a little less humid. Um I take that back. It's pretty humid. It's not quite as hot today. I went out for a mountain bike ride this morning. Um you could kind of see the condensation on my vehicle. It was, uh, so it was, wasn't too hard to get the sweat rolling this morning. So, um, yeah, for sure. The, the weather's typically pretty good. Um, it's funny. I've lived in Knoxville, Tennessee. I've lived in Louisville, Kentucky, Tulsa, Oklahoma, even Birmingham, Alabama for a little while. Um, and the, the weather's pretty similar between those three places, give or take. I think you get, a little more winter in Oklahoma or Kentucky, but overall pr pretty similar. So I've been looking for a new place to live because uh, I like to be south of the snow belt at some point in my life. It'd be kind of nice. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't want to be right where I'm going to be swept away by a hurricane either. So it's like, yeah. you can't be too far to the coast. Otherwise you're going to risk it. Um, but it sounds like those areas where you're talking about are pretty centralized where you might not hit, get too many hurricanes. Yeah, it, yeah, hurricanes for sure. Um, it's funny. I I went to the 2008 Indianapolis MotoGP to spectate, and they had yeah. remnants of a hurricane that hit there, and that's a little bit north of Louisville. Um, so you know, Louisville's pretty good. Knoxville's good. You know, I'm from Chattanooga originally, which is about an hour and a half south of here. That's a pretty good town. I, I don't think you can really get wrong with any of those places, but um, you're you're in Michigan right now. Is that correct? Yep. I'm just north of Detroit, Sterling Heights. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. I, I've heard good things about Michigan, too. So. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, sometimes the roads are trash, but uh, you can get <laughs> That's uh, – man, that's true just about wherever you go, I think. So somewhere in that place, the, the the roads are trash. We've we've got kind of some fresh pavement on the main road outside our house um, in Knoxville, so we've we've got that going for us at least. So it sounds like you're a, a fan of many things, like I am. You're you're into mountain bikes. You're into motorcycle racing. That's uh, right. A little bit about that. Yeah. So it's one of those things. I got into motorcycle racing before I got into bicycles really. So it's a little backwards from the from the original story. Sure. Um and you know, I I got a late start to motorcycles as it is. I, I didn't really I didn't ride a motorcycle until I was twenty two and that was kind of a one off I, I took a YZF six hundred Thundercat up and down the street or whatever. Yeah. Uh, at my friend's house and then I had some friends that I worked with I worked at a, a tire shop in college and had a bunch of friends that rode motorcycles and 
you know, for whatever reason, they talked me into getting a motorcycle. And then I had a couple more friends that were into riding sport bikes that worked there. And um, so it, it kind of started there. But, uh, you know, I can get into to the motorcycle history. But, yeah, um, right now I'm a Wira expert and uh, Moto America Stock 1000 competitor. I haven't done as much Moto America this year, but we're going to make it out to Barber at the end of the season. Um, and, you know, I got into mountain bikes as a primary training tool for riding motorcycles uh, or racing motorcycles, rather, um, because you're, you're on two wheels. I, I mainly stick to cross country type riding. That's, that's the bike I have. And it's, modern cross-country bikes are pretty capable um i'm not sure i follow you on strava but i'm not sure what bike you have um but i know you i know you competed in the past in mountain biking so yeah so um, um i'm not the fastest guy on a mountain bike that takes another level of uh, dedication and training just to be able to pedal with those guys and at the expert and elite level so i am a beginner mountain bike racing champion i will say that you know with an asterisk I'm not an expert mountain bike racer, um, mainly because just the cardio. Like, I can't dedicate a 1,000 miles a month to to mountain biking um, yeah. to be at that level. And that's really what you have to put into it or more. Sometimes I see 15,000 miles for some of these racers a year. It's like that's uh, that's an extreme amount of seat time. And, and kudos to them uh, because it really does make you better being able to put in all that time. Um, I, I did uh, – sport the next year after i won the beginner and i think it was fourth overall in the state but i did about half the rounds so uh the first year i did every single round i made sure uh in michigan it's mmba michigan mountain bike association they have a championship point series cps and uh they have a 10 round series where they'll take your best five events so you don't really have to do all 10 which is kind of nice because mm-hmm. it won't be championship competitive at half, you know, half the series. So, um, but if you only do five, they only take those finishes. So if you do all the 10, it allows you to, you know, maybe screw up a race here or there, or maybe have a, a worse finish. Um, so you only get to pick your best one. So uh, yeah. I enjoyed it a lot and it's great training. It's very similar to, to, to a motorcycle. You're just going a lot slower and it's, a, it's human power instead of, uh, just sitting down. I, I should shouldn't say just sitting down because there's a lot more going on when you're riding a motorcycle. <laughs> but at least you don't have to pedal yourself over those ridiculous hills. And what I did was called cross country slash downhill. It was okay. Kind of, it was kind of a mix, but there were never any major drop offs like uh, in Utah or whatever. Um, it was pretty tame as far as the difficulty level. But um, you're going uphill, downhill. Sometimes uh, difficult passes through rock gardens and all kinds of different things, roots and trees in the way. And don't hit your handlebar in a tree going 20 miles an hour. It'll be a bad day. It's, it, it is a bad day when that happens. I, <laughs> I can attest. I've got, I've got a scar right here to, to prove that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's funny how in cross-country racing especially, you can make a – like you make the time up on fitness and climbing. Like oh, you yeah. can, somebody like you or, or me with motorcycle racing background and maybe a more technical skill set, we can, we can make up time on a downhill switchback or, or wherever. 
but I found that's just kind of a fraction of, of the time of the, of the overall um, event. And, you know, I've never competed all the way through in a series um, mainly because I'm, well, at this point I'm more focused on motorcycle racing. When we moved to Louisville, Kentucky in 2015, there's fantastic cycling community there. Um, and there's, you, you get, I, I became friends with a lot of the cross country and uh, trail mountain bike people. And they're also road bike people. And I did some cyclocross racing too. So, um, but it's all great stuff. It's competing. It's, you know, when you're suffering and you're, and you're pedaling and your, your, your heart rates up, like your, your ability to make decisions is diminished. <laughs> yeah. So that the, you're being able to have that technical skill set and be able to focus on that becomes pretty critical as well. Um, so, yeah, but I, I went out this morning. I live in Knoxville. We've got a pretty sweet urban wilderness in the area, and there's there's a lot of climbing involved, but that's good. You get to go back down and work on, you know, you can work on getting through the corners and, and, and that kind of thing and uh, application of brakes, reference points, all that stuff that you work on on the race bike, you, you can work on it on the mountain bike. And um, you're so that, fortunate to have that elevation where you live because in Michigan, it's pretty darn flat everywhere you go. I mean, you yeah. got rolling hills that seem steep to a, to a guy like me, but you take me to uh, Tennessee. I'm like, you want me to do what? You want yeah. <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it's pretty good kentucky was like that too we had a lot of elevation change and a lot of our uh, local trails in louisville um in fact we would get out on our road bikes and we'd ride over to indiana there's the knobs in indiana so you ride kind of an endurance pace out there and then try to make it up the knobs as fast as you could and you do like three knobs and it'd be like a 50 55 mile round trip and you're you're it's good. It's good stuff. So, <laughs> so now uh, people are switching over to the e-bikes, and that's taking a whole new uh, level to things, right? Because now you might – people say, well, you're not getting the same workout. Well, you could. You're just going way farther distance, way faster speeds, right? And maybe you do the same two, three hours, however long you're working out or riding for. But instead of 55 miles, you can go like 150 miles. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Um, see a lot of e-bikes around here in Knoxville with the urban wilderness has some areas that are more set up as kind of a bike park. So you climb to the top and there's like three downhill trails and a lot of people like the e-bikes to get up to the top of the trail and then just bomb the descent. So <laughs> um, to me, it's just not that, that steep. I've got a a pretty basic um it's a specialized epic hardtail which is their but it's it's their i guess entry level carbon cross-country race hardtail sure pretty pretty capable but i don't have a dropper post on it um it's 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 got modern cross-country geometry which is a little more slack but it's still it's still a quick turning machine so it's not super great on the on the downhills, not as great as like a mid-travel, long-travel 29er might be. Sure. And uh, I'm running the uh, the Trek, which is like the uh, um, 
the competitor to the specialized, but uh, mm -hmm. I'm on a full suspension. It's a uh, Top Fuel Eight, I believe it is. Nice, uh, yeah. So it's a uh, it's a pretty capable bike. Also, um, now there's always a huge debate between full suspension and hardtail. What's your thought on that? Um, man, it, it all depends on what you want to do. I I, I think. If I'd known I was going to be moving back to Knoxville, I would have gone with a full suspension. And, you know, I've done some marathon distance cross country and the full suspension comes in handy there. It's, it's good on the descents, but it's even good if you're looking into that 100 millimeter travel category. It's good on the climbs because you're, it soaks up the roots and it keeps your tire in contact with the ground for a hardtail it's better at transferring power, but you go over root on a rooty climb and it's, it doesn't keep that contact patch. So you, you don't really lose. There's really no real disadvantage to a full suspension um, other than cost, you know, entry, entry cost is, is a bit different. The hardtail is good. I kind of keep it double as a road bike. Sometimes I rode it last week when we were on vacation in Florida and it did just fine. Cause that was flat yeah. so um but they're, they're they're all capable it's like you know it's just like motorcycles like it comes down to the rider um but there are things that some motor some bicycles do better so you know, there's full suspension there's there's hardtail there's also you know there's a lot of debate about modern geometry and that kind of thing so yeah I think the uh, the full suspension is nice to have. It's definitely on the trails around here. It's not needed, but it's mm -hmm. more a luxury thing, I think. Um, yeah. Because, and also, I have changed my riding style um, based on the bike that I have. I sit down more often. I try to keep mm -hmm. my weight low, and I don't stand up on the pedals as much. Yeah. Uh, and so I can go over all kinds of rough terrain, and it doesn't hurt my butt as much. So that's a yeah. kind of a plus um for my particular style yeah yeah that's definitely a plus for the for the full suspension and that the top fuel is a good bike that was their cross-country race bike up until a couple of years ago when they came out with the super caliber oh so, yeah i mean there's many levels above my bike that you could still upgrade it's uh it, it's still very capable it's a very uh, nice bike I, it's like the the best bike i could afford without taking out a loan, like paying cash. Like I was like, yeah. I don't want to go into debt for buying a bicycle. This is more yeah. than some people's motorcycle. Like yeah. it's not a cheap bike. Uh, and that was, so it's not like I'm just uh, out here buying, spending crap tons of money on on motorcycles and stuff like that. My last bike, the bike that I won the championship on at the time was 18 years old. It was a Trek VRX 200. From wow. twenty uh, two, from year two thousand, I won the championship wow. in twenty eighteen. So um, yeah, I waited a long ass time to upgrade my bike, and uh, and that one, the Trek VRX, had the old Y frame, um, kind of like a motorcycle style uh, bike style, the rear end, anyways. And um, you know, it was the red with the yellow forks, uh, super retro looking, but. And you can ride just about anything fast. Just, I, I'm a huge proponent of buy something that's uh, cheaper, start out on it, use it for a while, and then upgrade to something better. And then when yeah. you make that upgrade, you're like, oh, wow, this is so much better. Like, I had no idea all the th all the bells and whistles I was missing. And this <laughs> new bike, you know, it's I think it's 2019. 
um, I believe. And then uh, it even has a lockout suspension. So yeah. I can have a, a hardtail. It locks out the front and the rear to like maybe 95% stiffness. Um, yeah. It twists the grip and it's full suspension again. So it's just a button, press awesome. in, hardtails, twist grip, full suspension. Uh, it's on yeah. the left side, um, which actually the cable has become frayed and I need to replace the cable on that one because it's poking me now. It's poking me in the fingers sometimes and it's kind of cut, maybe cut my finger if I let it uh, vibrate there too much. So yeah, that's the only problem is it's slightly more maintenance now because it's got more more parts on it, but that's a small thing to, to fix. It shouldn't take more than 10 minutes to reroute a cable probably and then put that plastic or rubber housing on it, call it a day. So uh, yeah, cool to have that. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So I've been uh, definitely slacking on my mountain bike riding this year. I've been uh, and last year I started something called corner working, corner working, being a track marshal. Actually, yeah. we're right now just by by uh, by chance uh, for As Ezra, wrong way, Ezra and CCS. Yeah. And uh, been working as a marshal down there, waving the flag, sometimes picking up a bike or talking on the radio, race control. And uh, that's been a whole new eye-opening experience. You know, I've been doing most of my my riding mileage on the weekends. So if I'm at the track flagging, I can't do a, a 50-mile ride typically. But um, yeah, it's cool to help out with that, see the whole new side of the sport. I would recommend any racer or track day guy or someone who's interested in the sport, go to uh, reach out to your local track, your track day organization or racing from – I've done Formula One and MotoGP, you know, and also amateur organizations and IndyCar and uh, North American Talent Cup for the young kids. Moto America, I've, I might have flagged for you already. I've, I've done Barber, and uh, I'm going to be doing Pittsburgh this year in New Jersey. Cool. Um, and also, at the end of the year, Barber again. Um, so, uh, and this, this year for Moto America, I did Daytona to 200. I was at Coda for MotoGP uh, and Moto America, and uh, the other one was uh, the third round, uh, Road Atlanta at, at Georgia. So uh, wow, I've been trying to travel around. I think I've been to Florida like four or five times this year already, which is uh, that's I don't usually travel this much, but uh, I'm trying to figure yeah. out how to be at the racetrack and make a little money at, at the same time. So yeah, uh, trying to find all these these part time jobs. Yeah, that's man, that's fantastic. You're doing that. I I have not worked as a corner worker yet. I, I think that's something I should probably do. Um, they 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 always do a great job, and that's that's fantastic. You're traveling so much to do that this year. Um, I'll I'll look for you at Barber or for sure. Just, yeah, yeah, I'll be there. So I never know where I'll be, but I always look about the same. I always have my wide brim hat on and a couple lanyards around me. Yeah. But uh, we don't know where we're going to be until the day of. They assign you that day, say, hey, based on who shows up, you know, they have all these people um, say they're going to be there. And most of the time, it's um, a high percentage of the people show up. But there's always one or two who had a scheduling conflict or, or someone's in the hospital. Um, yeah. So they assign you the day of and say, okay, you're going to be at turn 14. Sometimes you move around each day. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you might move around different corners. Sometimes you're at the same corner the whole time. So it's kind of different each time you go. It's a new organization. It's a new, it's a new company usually doing the flagging. So it's a pretty cool 
you know, helping out the riders. And I'm pretty sure Stefano Mesa uh, did some flagging at Daytona. Um, yeah. So there are racers who uh, who do it. I'm a racer, so um, it's cool to uh, to help out. And sometimes, you know, you could be the difference of um, somebody getting hurt worse or not, or even yeah. even stuff worse than that. Uh, yeah. If, by by putting out the right flag at the right time or making that split second decision, you can really affect things. Yeah, that's a super critical job. So that's that's awesome you're out there doing that. Heck yeah. And uh, what were some of the things you want to talk about today? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of started to get into the background of uh, my, I guess, racing career, um, which is, which has been a, it's been a long career, I guess, so far, um, with a bit of lulls here and there and some highlights here and there. But yeah, like I mentioned, I got a late start um, riding motorcycles, period. I started doing track days in 2004. First track day I did was on a Ducati Monster, um, which is not like, I mean, it's a capable bike. It's not your greatest like sport bike. And I, I didn't really, I never really, I didn't have the aspirations to be a racer at that time. Fortunately, living in Chattanooga, I had some good friends that I had met that had just stopped racing Wira and Lightweight Twins. And they had ran, they, they had run an endurance team in the early 2000s. So, I did a few more track days. It took me a little bit longer to get out of school, I guess you could say. Um, but when I got out of school, I graduated school in 2006 and I started racing in 2007 on an SV650, like many people do. And it was a bike that I bought um, $500 that was didn't have a front end on it. No forks. Oh, man. Questionable triple clamps and no key <laughs> but i i had a key made from the gas tank lock i put it back together um put you know cartridges and a shock on it and and um did my race school at nashville super speedway and then did, did my first race weekend at nashville super speedway with Wira. um i crashed like the first or second <laughs> practice session like just ran off the track and into the dirt and uh had to borrow some parts from somebody else there um it really kind of struggled um with racing in 2007 and 2008 um i was able to become friends with or I had some contacts that, and, and I had some friends that worked at a Ducati shop in Athens, Georgia, which is since it's no longer there, but I had bought, I wound up buying a Ducati 1000 Supersport at the end of 2008. That was uh, already race prepped. It was a former endurance bike. And I was able to, start riding a, a bit better rode a bit more aggressively won some novice lightweight twins races in 2009 won a couple of races at the grand national finals rode atlanta that year um and had a good time R rode with a lot of good friends and felt like i pushed myself 
I got bumped up to expert in 2008. I started racing 600 or, or in 2010. I got bumped up to expert. I started racing 600 classes on a Ducati 848. And my first race weekend of that season was Talladega in February. And okay, so let's take a step back real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long did it take from when you did your first track day ever to become a novice racer? Three years. Three years. And then yeah. from novice racer to expert, how long did that take? Oh, that was three years as well. And then so, from expert. And then I'll jump ahead, but from expert yeah. to pro, how long did that take? Oh, wow. That was, uh, gosh, you're getting me. I should know. 12 years. 12, 12 years. years. As an expert. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So. so there's, it's not like some people just want to jump ahead as fast as possible. They're like, I want to be a racer tomorrow. It's like, well, you could enter the race, but you might get your ass kicked, right? Yeah. 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 And there, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you bring up kind of a good point. I mean, I, I definitely had a paradigm shift in my mindset a along the way. Um, and, and starting out racing and even in 2009, winning some novice races, I wasn't really interested in what I was doing on the racetrack. I just wanted to be known for being fast. Like, oh, here's Mark. Here's this fast racer guy. And once... I went expert at a crash that I couldn't, I didn't know why I crashed at the time. I can look back and tell you exactly why I crashed. It was 30 degrees at Talladega. I threw a lot of lean angle at the bike and I couldn't tell you where I was. What I couldn't tell you. I'm trying to think how to put it. I didn't pay attention to my bike position on the track. So easy way to crash, not, not knowing, but I didn't have any fundamentals. I had no foundation at that time. And it, it spooked me. I was like, well, I crashed for no reason. Now I'm scared to hold the brake lever on after turning it. So um, that you mentioned going from 2010 to or 20, 2009 to 2021. I mean, that was the time period where I had to figure all that out and sort through it. And so Somewhere along the way, I did have a shift in mindset that, you know, this this is a really cool sport and everything we do in it is pretty awesome. And I came to that conclusion, it was like 2016. <laughs> and I was actually riding a mountain bike at the time. I was riding a mountain bike with a buddy of mine in Birmingham, Alabama. And I went through a set of downhill switchbacks and it was kind of a gravelly um, single track and I went through a corner pretty good and you know when you go through a corner and it does that it makes that sound through the tires like and I was like well that was awesome that feels good yeah there's no reason I can't do that on a motorcycle it's not gonna sound like that but it's the same thing so that kind of started the the journey of well let's let's figure out what we're doing here and everything else will sort itself out so you're saying like let's pick apart the technique that we actually need to use to do it the best way and not just run through the corner and not really understand how we're getting through it that's right that's absolutely right that so, takes a long time for people to understand it's like i said this to uh to david gray one time i was at the track he was like you screwed that corner up 
so bad. I was like, I didn't crash. What are you talking about? He's like, you can go through a corner a hundred times and not crash and still not do it right. It's like, I'd never thought of that before. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's funny. Um, it's funny how that input can make you kind of change your perspective on it. But yeah, yeah it took a long time of, uh, I, I raced a bit between 2010 and 2016, but it was real sporadic. Um, not full season, just uh, one-offs or wild cards. Yeah, and and man, I was I was not fast. I was not fast, and the way I was riding was it was scary because it's a lot less scary for me to ride at the pace I'm riding right now. For instance, um, doing thirty twos at Barber versus like I did like forty sixes at Barber on a eight forty eight. And that was terrifying because I was jabbing at the brake lever. I was letting go of the brake before I turned it in. And you just, you have no feel and everything's abrupt and jerky and the bikes all over the place. And, um, it just wasn't doing it. right. And so, yeah, just that moment. I, I don't know why I remember that moment on the mountain bike thinking, man, this is cool. Two wheel stuff is cool. And, I've got a race license. I've got a solid race bike. Let's, let's keep this going. Um, and I did a track day actually later that year. I, the 848 eventually blew up its motor. And so I parted it out. I bought a Triumph 675. Um, it was one of the X D and D cycles. I think it was like Bobby Fong's oh, nice. B bike. So it was by chance. I'm sorry. What was that? You know what your uh, Triumph by chance that 675R was? Oh yeah, it was a 2013. Oh, I had the same bike. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, so that was probably one of the most trick bikes I ever had. Yeah. I mean, it had it had all the good stuff. Had a super sport motor, um, triple clamps. It was Daytona sport bike spec, um, and it was fast. It's so, a pro race bike. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um. I got that bike. I went to Talladega. I rode a track day. I was riding with one of my friends from around Chattanooga. And he's he does a race, but he's a very quick, very competent track day rider. And he was following me. He was like, man, I don't want to tell you what to do, but you're just riding tight. You just need to relax and enjoy riding the bike. And I was like. Talking with your body position? Yeah, body position, just like you can tell when somebody's nervous or whatever, like your 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 shoulder blades are high and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and your inputs, that's the thing about motorcycle racing, like everything we're doing is on display. Yeah. So he noticed that and he was like, you know what? Our our, our buddy Andy is another he was a fast uh he, he is a fast 1000 cc we're a racer it's not racing currently but he's raced pretty competently in the past he was like he's been listening to ken hill podcast why don't you give them a listen so i started listening to that and that really started the journey of oh okay if i do this the bike's gonna do this and if i work on this this will get better and if i just train and you know that got the ball rolling um on being I wouldn't even say like a like a I wouldn't even say a mid pack expert. I, I was a backmarker expert, um, 
into, you know, where I am now is a confident, you know, we're, a, we're an expert and Moto America competitor. Um, and I'm still able to keep improving as I go out. So, um, yeah, that was, that was really a big, a big moment. Um, and to, to start really looking at the technique of, of racing a motorcycle. Now, have you taken any specific schools or uh, racing schools or riding schools on track development type of thing um, that you can talk about? Yeah, yeah, for sure. In, in 2013, I I took a Jason DeSalvo Speed Academy Very course nice. at Talladega. <laughs> I, I know you've taken it before yeah. too, um, and and that's a great school. Honestly, in 2013, I wasn't ready to be coached. And I still have my notes in my notebook from that session and everything makes great sense to me now, but it did then because I had the attitude that I could just show up. They tell me all this stuff and I'd magically just be this five seconds lap faster or whatever, you know, and it doesn't work like that. Like, like, you know, this, so um, I did go back and take, kind of an abbreviated Jason DeSalvo Speed Academy in 2017. It was probably one of the last uh, schools they, they might have had at Barber. And that one was a little more helpful. I was a little more ready to be coached. And 2018, I decided, okay, I really, I know what I'm doing. I know what I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to go get some real, evaluation and coaching um so i had been actually emailing back and forth with ken hill and we we talked about training and i I gave him some feedback on his podcast and that was that was great um before i get into that i i did an american super camp in may 2018 okay and that was really a fantastic experience. I want to go back because I think at the time I just wanted to ride a TTR 125 fast and slide it around. And I did, and it was fun. I crashed a bunch that day, but there are a lot of fundamentals from racing that bike, riding that bike around that course that are directly applicable to road race, you know, heard of the american super camp but can you uh describe what it is to people so they know uh what we're talking about yeah absolutely um so american super camp is run by danny walker he's a former ama pro road racer ama uh, flat tracker and it is a it is a riding school they use ttr 125s it's on the dirt and they set up courses and and work on different drills throughout the day and you have kind of an open day on a more open day on Sunday Um, and it really teaches you to focus on your inputs on the bike and because there's no grip or grip is very low so the way you hold the brakes into the corner the way you turn the bike in it, it all has to be done very precisely um, and it's on, it's on TTR 125. So you don't have huge horsepower to the consequences of huge horsepower and huge speed. So it's a really great, it's fun. It's, it's a great 
you know, atmosphere to, to learn. Um, and I, I think a, a course like that, I, I would highly recommend. Um, I'm, I don't know. I can't remember if you've done super camp. You might've done corner spin. It seems like a similar yeah. con concept. I did, uh, Aaron Stevenson of Corner Spin, which is, I think, of extremely similar concept where they do dirt bike training for road racers. That the yeah. whole point is for road racing um, to play in the dirt on the lower CC machines like the XR100s and the, the TT125s. Um, and machines of those CC class are um, very rewarding as far as improving your skill set with not having a lot of risk. You're not going hundred miles an hour down the straightaway and high siding, you know, you're on dirt going, I don't know, 30, 40 miles an hour. Maybe yeah. most of the time you're t doing tight turns in the dirt. And, um, I've even heard there's a, uh, there's just drills. You're going in circles, just, just trying to find, just find the grip level. And can you slide the rear tire without falling? Can you go yeah. over that level and bring it back? And the same thing is happening when you're on a motorcycle, when you're really pushing the front, pushing the rear, it's just, it's happening um, with with more precision. That there's less room for error on a big bike. So if you push the front, there's only so much it's going to really push on a sport bike until it folds away. So it looks like guys like Mark Marquez and Toprak Safagalu. Uh, that's wrong. Toprak Rezgatia. Yeah, that was good. Um, that was it. <laughs> is uh, Saf Kenyan Safagalu and Toprak I mixed up together. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, both of those guys are always pushing the limit and always training with Supermoto, which is something I'm glad that I started doing recently is a Supermoto training and riding in the dirt. Um, it's difficult, man. I got a, a mountain bike course that I'd moved, uh, transitioned into a, a Supermoto course. So I've been riding in my backyard, just um, slick tires on a dirt bike, doing laps around the trees and making my own course and just trying to go faster and not hit any trees. <laughs> yeah. And just, uh, it's a totally different riding style. So it's like all these different things um, help help put the package together, whether it's karting or race car driving or mountain bike racing or, you know, supermoto. Uh, it all helps road racing. It all helps each other. Yeah, I I wound up buying a TTR 125 after, after Supercamp um, <clears throat> and set up a track at our place in Kentucky and... I'll, I'll get it out on the pavement here in Knoxville, not on the road, but we've got a neighborhood where it, I won't say too much about that. But anyway, <laughs> you can, uh, there's, there's so much that you can learn from riding that bike and, and it allows you to focus on things that you can't really focus on, on the big bike, you know, oh, yeah. because you're more concerned on, on the big bike. You got to be concerned about different things, but I'll even work on, can I hold brake pressure through this corner and keep weight off my hands on the TTR? Like, can I keep my inside shoulder loose, my inside elbow loose, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, fantastic tools. So I, that was, that was really a good experience that I was able to go do that and be able to get a tool to practice on whenever I, I need to. Yeah, and uh, I'm learning more about becoming a motorsports coach. So I'm going through all the different programs of trying to get, obtain uh, certifications and, and different things so that I can can be a coach. And learning all the all the fundamentals and techniques again is always is never a bad thing. Going over oh, the yeah. the, uh, the twist of your wrist 
uh, Keith Code and all that stuff. And uh, they have a movie out on Amazon you can buy, or you could just buy it straight from them. But yeah, uh, I was rewatching that again. I remember watching that 10 years ago. And uh, people are mistaken as to how a motorcycle turns. Uh, they don't understand what exactly goes into making a bike turn. Um, counter steering is a very hard concept for people to understand sometimes until they actually do it. Like if you read it, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. You're telling me if I want to go left, I turn the handlebars to the right. Well, that doesn't make any sense. But yeah. um, in uh, in practice, in actually doing it, it's it's uh, makes much more sense to people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't say that on the racetrack that I actively counter steer. Um, keyword there being active. I, I I know what inputs I put into the bike to make it turn. It's a combination of, you know, body position, knee, outside knee to the pressure to the outside of the tank, and brake pressure, of course. So, um, but yeah, that, those type of mechanics, I, I think it's good to, to understand. And so one of the, the books was preaching, and I even printed it out. I wish I had it over here. It's over at my computer station. But it said yeah. the only way that you turn a motorcycle at speed is by pushing the bar to the inside of the direction you want to go. So yeah. if you're turning left, pushing that bar away from you, not down. Yeah. And also, it's not just a push. You can also pull with the other bar towards you. And you yeah. can do um, both of them. You can do push or pull or combine both of them and have yeah. both on both hands. So it's one of those three actions is the only way a motorcycle turns. And yeah. they even have a, a, I don't know what the term is, but it's a, a no BS bike or something like that, where yeah. they mounted another set of handlebars that are fixed to the tank and don't move at all with the steering. So people are like, well, no, it's it's leaning is what turns a bike. Well, once you're already initiated the turn, leaning helps a lot. Yeah. But that's not actually what turns a motorcycle. The yeah. only thing that turns a motorcycle is turning those handlebars. Um, and I was like, oh, I, I actually kind of maybe didn't understand that myself, you know? And it's yeah. like, because sometimes I'm going down the freeway and I'm like, oh, there's a truck there. And they even say, wind does not turn a motorcycle. So, like, if you're going by a truck, you're thinking, oh, no, this this, this uh, truck's going to blow me away. Well, a lot of times, yes, they can push you one or two or three degrees off of your path, but they're not going to turn you like turning a 90-degree turn. Yeah. Um, and so when you're going by a semi-truck, the reason that you're moving more than you should be is because you're letting the wind move your hands, and you're actually pushing the bars with your hands because of the wind. So if you're more neutral with your hand position and more relaxed, not letting the wind push you around, that's what stops uh, you moving is just having your, your hands, you know, hands bent, arms relaxed, and not putting too much weight on your hands is a big thing for people. Yeah, for sure. Or white knuckle grips. People are like, well, aren't you holding on so tight? Well, <laughs> not really. No. You can't. That's not sustainable. For a 20-lap race, you can't hold on with a white knuckle grip for 45 minutes, you just won't be able to hold on anymore. Yeah. And you got to be able to use the controls. And for that, you've, you've got to have that. You, you can't have too much weight on your hands. Obviously, if you're going into turn 10A at Road Atlanta, you're going to have weight on your hands because you're breaking from 170 miles an hour or whatever. So, um, but as soon, you know, you, you want 
you want to mitigate that as soon as you start getting the bike turned in. So yeah, absolutely. Sure. And even if you, uh, if in an ideal situation, you'd want to be gripping the tank with your knees, trying to get as much weight off your hands as possible. But of course, yeah. some, some weight's going to transfer. It's yeah. inevitable. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so what's something you learned recently that helped you with your riding? Oh man, it's, it's, we're always learning, right? Um, I'll I'll tell you going back to 2018, um, I did have the opportunity to go out to Utah Motorsports Campus, which used to be Miller Motorsports Park, and I rode with uh, the ridiculous um, squad. Who are all crown guys? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, so Ken Hill was was involved with them and. He he had his team of coaches and, and it, it was it was really a great event because the way they approached the school, I guess for lack of a better or the training was you you go out with a coach and he evaluates you and he picks out the two biggest things that are holding you back. And you just work on that the rest of the day and they give you a plan to keep working on that. And that was an immediate, I had no idea how beneficial that was at the time or how beneficial that would be because it also allowed me to start self-coaching a bit. I still work with Ken Hill a good bit. Um, started looking at data over the past couple of seasons and he's been able to take a look at what I'm seeing and, and we kind of, you know, and give me some things to work on for the next round. Um, and it's really cool because he's, he's done a whole lot for this sport. Like he's, you know, I'll, I'll I've, I, you know, I've donated to his podcast because it, it does a great thing. Um, but I'm, I'm not really anybody. I'm I'm a you know a race stock 1000 here and there the past few seasons. I'll I'll be doing more of it moving forward. But um, anyway, that's that's been super helpful. Um, but you know, having said that, having that foundation, it's it's been a buildup over the past four years from that until now. I'm really working on you know more nuanced you know, aspects of racing the motorcycle. So um, I will say racing at a race, the Barber Motorsports Park earlier in July, had a pretty good weekend, set some personal best lap times after like three months, not riding the bike, which was okay, which was good. Um, but I rode I rode with more aggression, which was good, but I rode a little bit sloppy, which was not great, but I can clean that up. Like I can go out, I'm going out this weekend to road Atlanta. I'm going to do a track day with sport bike track time. And there are some things I can work on to clean up, like hitting the right apexes, making sure I'm using the right controls um, and, and making sure I've really been able to focus more on reference points this season 
I've done more track days this year. I've only done one race weekend so far, but we've got several more scheduled throughout the end of the year. But the track days were specifically to work on these reference points because I'll find that I'll go out and you go out in a race. For instance, you go out in a Moto America weekend. You think, oh man, I got 30 minutes of free practice one, 30 minutes of qualifying one, and 30 minutes of qualifying two. That's a lot of time, and it is, but it's all in those one chunks. So you roll out there in one mindset, and you can't. It's been my experience that you can't really learn anything new other than you can dig to the bottom of your skill set and you can use all the skills you have and ride with whatever heart you have. And that's where you are. Um, so this season has been about taking it a little bit of a step back and being able to really focus on things like reference points, really focus on things. I, one of my weaknesses is longer radius corners where you aren't breaking there's no real hard braking straight up and down, but you carry some brake pressure on the side of the tire into the corner. Um, kind of like the carousel it, at uh, Road America, the 10-9. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good one um, because I'm I'm not great going in there. Like going into the carousel, I got passed around the outside a couple of times in uh, in Stock 1000 practice. There's so, a bump coming on the inside of that corner. Everybody hits, you know. Yeah. I, I've, I worked at that corner. As yeah. a marshal, so I, I was watching that for hours and hours, and seeing everybody hit that, that small little bump on the inside, and you know, and Gagne comes flying around, almost loses the front because he's pushing oh, yeah. everybody else, and yeah. uh, stays on the bike. But like, oh, that was a moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, for sure. That's a great example. Um, and there's several other corners. Turn seven. I think I did a better job with the carousel road at Road America. The entry needed some work. Um, but like turn seven, I think you can kind of roll out of it, maybe do a little bit of brake pressure um, through turn seven. I'll see you next year when I go back. But um, but that's something I've been working on. I've been able to really make some positive strides with that mainly through riding at Jennings GP in January in February because that track has a lot of longer radius corners. There's not really any real hard braking. Um, there, there is some harder braking, but you're still doing a lot of braking on the side of the tire, lighter braking on the side of the tire to maintain your roll speed while compressing that braking zone so you can keep your acceleration zone low. Yeah, a lot of stuff um, going on there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's one thing I've been able to figure out a little more this year. Um, one thing I did learn, and I'm getting into more, is I'm not a great – I really focus on my riding. I haven't focused very much on my bike setup, and okay. I'm – you know, I've got a pretty good setup, a pretty good baseline setup. I think the geometry is set up pretty well on the 2020 R1 I'm riding right now. Are you working with any uh, suspension um, mechanics or uh, crew? Yeah, so not not on not trackside crew, but Tyler Smathers with two wheel suspensions. I've been sending him. He's he's been servicing 
the suspension for, for my bikes for the past, I think, three or four seasons. And he's been able to give me some, some really good baseline settings. I found at Barber Motorsports Park, you really can run a lot softer spring there than you do at, say, Road Atlanta because you're not braking and your braking zones are, are more downhill at Barber. You don't really have a, a flat zone that creates a lot of pressure force back on the tire. So that's something I'm going to work on over the, the, the next month is I'm going back to Road Atlanta this weekend. I'm probably not going to make many changes from the Springs. I'm going to either go to Barber in for a track day um, August 14th, or I'm going to race to Talladega with Wira on the 19th. And either one of those, I'm going to try a softer spring and see how that works out. Um, I mean, always be trying different things, whether it's gearing, whether it's suspension changes, or maybe, yeah. you know, I, well, once you have a decent baseline setup, you don't want to stray too far from that. But sometimes yeah. if you're struggling um, in certain corners, maybe try a different line, maybe try a different yeah. uh, suspension setting and see if that is, makes it worse. You're going to yeah. turn it back, go the other way, see if it makes it better. Maybe put it back where you found it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's that's one thing I've never really experimented a lot with. It, going back to, you know, I've, I've found that I, there, there are things I can do, even if I didn't change springs and I went back to Barber, there's, there's a lot of time I've left on the table there because I know – I'm not necessarily coasting, but I'm braking too long in a lot of areas. I'm letting go. Of, there are some areas I'm letting go of the brake lever too early. Sure. And, and it's, uh, it's yeah. giving up on the corner a bit. So One thing I heard, I think it was Josh Hayes say one time, uh, when he started progressing and getting faster in his riding, he's like, you know when you just master a corner and you're like, no one's going to pass me here. I got this corner. I feel really confident. I'm really getting <laughs> putting deep in this corner and I've got a great exit. Well, he's like, then you get to novice and you, and then you get like three corners. You feel like that expert, maybe like four or five corners. You feel like that when you're a pro and you're at the really at the limit, every single inch of the racetrack is like that. So yeah. it's like, how many corners can you master and put it all together into this puzzle to make your perfect lap? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great way to put it. Um, and <clears throat> that's, that's one thing, you know, I can name at road Atlanta or Barber, there's like two or three corners that I'm kind of not good at all through, to be yeah. honest. So, um, there are other corners I'm really good at, but I've found if you can work on where you're not good and, and that gets better, if you're not good and that's good maybe one area where you're good becomes great. You know, it, it, it all kind of comes together and you get, you get better. Yeah. And then so. there's just some corners where they're maybe dangerous. Maybe there's a wall too close. Maybe it's really low grip or, or something else, or maybe there was fluid down and there's sand now in the corner, like oil, oil dry. And sometimes there's corners you just get through. You're just getting yeah. through and making it through so you can live to ride another day. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but that that's, you know, one thing, I, I guess, technique-wise, I feel like I'm just always learning so, so many 
new thing or application of the technique. I'm just continuing on that. But I guess it's been important to me to learn having done three Moto America rounds last year. I qualified in every one of them, I finished every race, started. That's good. <clears throat> no yeah, it was awesome. I, I mean, if you had told me five years ago I did that, I'd, I'd say, oh, great. That's fantastic. And that's not, but, it's not a small feat because yeah. at, uh, some of the rounds say, I think there's up to 40 people, maybe 42 people who enter the race or enter yeah. qualifying in practice anyways, who show up on a Friday, Thursday, Friday. And uh, I think 28 maybe make the grid, right? So yeah. there's, it's a cutthroat field. There's uh, 12 people who might be going home in tears because they didn't make the race. Yeah. And these yeah. are season-long experts, possibly have done many other wild card events as a pro uh, and still not qualifying. So not to diminish them at all. It's just it's a very tough, hard field. These are the best people in the country, and there's people coming from other countries to, to race in this series. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's, it's getting faster. Like everybody at the front end is getting faster. Um, The, the seasoned veterans of the class are getting faster and the grids are still growing. If I look back on my results from last year, I think I did some good things, but I was never really satisfied. And I knew there were some kind of big things that I could change and drop time pretty quickly. But I knew I wasn't going to do that by trying to race more Moto America rounds. Um, you know, this this sport is very resource inten- intensive. Like it's expensive. It's you know, you got to have the equipment. You got to have the people. Takes a lot especially, of time. Yeah, yeah. Especially in Moto America, and so I wanted to really get back and and get back to building some more skills this season. And then I'll really be ready to get back out there at, at Barber. I've got some more wheel racing to do, and that's only going to improve is, is the plan. So, um, yeah, that's, you know, it's easy to get caught up in, oh, yeah, I race Moto America. Well, I'm a Moto America racer now. Well, I, I don't see it that way. I'm, I'm trying to be the best rider I can be. And to do that, at this point, I'm kind of I'm, – I'm playing the role of, like, the local talent. Fortunately, I live in Tennessee. I've got Road Atlanta. I've got Barber. Um, Road America is not too far away. But we've got a lot of great tracks that we can race with. We're, uh, there's VIR, too. Yeah. Um, I'll be there we're, uh, in a week. I'll be at VIR next week. Oh, nice. Yeah, Awesome. I haven't been there since 2010, but it was an awesome racetrack. Um, so just being able to use resource my resources the best way possible um, to allow me to be the best rider I can be. And this season, it's meant missing some Moto America rounds, missing some Wira rounds, but picking it back up the Wira, picking the, the, the Moto America rounds where I can do my best and just move forward from there so um we'll we'll see i it's it's funny in the learning process i feel like i look back at myself every two years and that person from two years ago i think is an idiot (laughs) And, and so 
it's uh it's funny how it how it works out but um so far it's it seems to be working working all right i, I like the trajectory that everything's going well it's, it's always good when you're growing you know if you're not growing you're not learning it sounds like you're doing a lot of learning lately yeah for sure for sure it's uh that took a long time to figure out um it it, it really it took me really falling in love with the process of, of racing a motorcycle and really wanting, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic feeling to go into the corner, hard braking, trail brake up to the slow point, get the bike. You know, I'm talking about the R1, get the bike stood up on the fat part into wide open throttle as quick as you can. Like the corner entry is fantastic. The exit kind of is, is a product of that entry. Um, but it's still super exciting the way these things accelerate. And I'm not just talking about 1,000, 600s, like they're all fast. So, oh, yeah, I mean, a 600 is still going 150, maybe 160 miles an hour. And now there are no more 600s in the Moto America class. Now there's 750s, there are Ducati, yeah. 100 pluses. Yeah. Well, you know, you still got some R6s out there. And I think, I think the R6s are. I think that's still a competitive platform. Um, it's not really an R6 anymore. It's an upgraded, like a super bike R6. Yeah, it's like we've gone back to, uh, gosh, I can't remember the Daytona sport bike rules, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if you ever watched the, the I, don't, I don't know if they could have cams in Daytona sport bike. Um, but I know they could have triple clamps and all that stuff. Um, you, can, you could play with the geometry. But yeah, I think I think the motor works a little more open now for sure for the 600s. Uh, what's what's interesting is they opened up the motor work for the 636 too, and it's it's already got a little bit of advantage, but you in in capacity, but you just don't. I haven't seen a whole lot of them out there. I think Stefano Mesa is still riding one. Yeah. Um, but I haven't. Honestly, I, I haven't. I haven't I haven't watched Super Sport as closely as as I should have this season, but you know, I, I think I think the I think the race organizations have to kind of follow what the manufacturers are producing, and I think they're doing it the right way. Um, you, you've got kind of some neutered big V twins and, and some neutered seven fifties out there, um, so. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I guess, I guess, uh, world super sports been looking at it for a while. Yeah. I just, I just think it's a shame to get rid of the stock 600 class. I think you should keep, keep them both, but, uh, it's a changing of the times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still think, I, I think it's proven, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Josh Hayes, who I think is a, exception an exceptional rider obviously but he's proved the r6 is completely competitive you know um with those other bikes so i and i think there are a lot of a lot of people out there on r6s that are that are still doing competitive times i think you've got an ex superbike champion on the ducati and and that's the difference there um but you know the M14, they've got some great riders. Um, they've got a good bit of development 
into the GSXR. So it, it's cool to see that. I think uh, Josh Heron is probably going to win the championship. I mean, he has more experience than anybody else in the class. Yeah. I mean, who else has been in Moto2? Uh, nobody. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he's like the far and ahead, uh, you know, betting betting man choice, I would say. Um, yeah. I put my money on him. And he's also a huge crowd favorite. Everybody loves him. That He's uh, a yeah. big fan favorite. He's got tons of uh, gear out. Now he's making those like wood uh, wood plaques or he's doing some wood burning, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. He's a talented uh, woodworker as well. So. so that's kind of some cool stuff going on. Um, I'll talk about something I'm doing recently is I'm a motorcycle safety foundation coach. So, um, I've been working on the weekends, teaching people how to ride motorcycles for the first mm-hmm. time, beginner, uh, level one class, beginner rider course. Um, and, uh, there's some, uh, there's some great riders in there who have never rode, ridden a motorcycle before. And then you get some other people who really struggle and, uh, something I'm trying to learn is how do I teach them, you know, the proper way to uh, to not stall a motorcycle like sometimes they'll just be really struggling and just not getting it and like I feel bad sometimes because I'm trying to convey you know with all the words that I have and sometimes people just can't seem to coordinate rolling on with letting out the clutch slowly that seems to be a yeah. problem for some people yeah yeah that's uh that's a tough one for sure that's awesome <laughs> that you're I'm sure it's tough to teach it as well, um, but that's awesome that you're doing that. That's a yeah. So it's a great thing. You know, this is getting people licensed and endorsed to ride a motorcycle in the state of Michigan. And uh, if they don't get endorsed, they don't know how to ride. Like if you get your training from your friend or your cousin, maybe they know the right things to tell you, but maybe they didn't tell you to use your turn signal, look over your head, and then you go to make a lane change, you didn't look. It's gonna be a bad day. Yeah. So, yeah. or we do a lot of stuff like tight turns, U-turns in a box, like parking lot things, slow speed maneuvers, um, pause and goes. So can you imagine you're coming to a red light and then the light turns green? Some people, they don't know how to go again. They're just going to kind of freak out and stall their bike. But um, if you can learn how to pause, not put your foot down and kind of take off again, you know, working those slow speed maneuvers, re- working that rear brake, the friction zone, a little bit of throttle use, getting in that right uh, zone there is uh, crucial. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing that and uh, just got uh, submitted my application for USMCA to become its United States Motorsport Coach Association, I think it is, or Motorcycle Coach Association. Yeah. Um, so want to get certified for that and uh, went through all the process. So I just got recertified for CPR, AED, first aid, and then I just went through for the first time. It was sexual Oh, abuse awareness training and also three three more things are concussion wise heat wise and cardiac wise uh for cardiac arrest heat stroke and concussion uh information so got all certified for that so that's good for the next couple of years and uh just gotta wait on uh, them to grade my work basically and um go from there yeah no that's awesome good, good luck with that i think you'll i think you'll do well yeah, I'm looking to do some private coaching. Um, it's another way to make some money in the motorsports industry. And also, you know, I learn from, from really great coaches and I want to help pass on my knowledge. It's like um, we've achieved this status of professional racers, but we also need to help the guys below us and bring them up 
and pick them up too because this sport only grows when people stay in it and if yeah. and if people are crashing out and spending too much money fixing their bikes they're not at the track doing track days and racing so um it helps people keep keep them in the sport and do better like if if those coaches wouldn't have helped you out you would have been yeah. still struggling <clears throat> even as an expert just not getting faster you hit those plateaus yeah. and you need help so i remember when i was racing uh, my buddy al Al Zahui, we would go out together. We were in sometimes different classes, but I raced up certain classes so I could practice with him. Uh, and sometimes we just go to track days and ride, and it wasn't a racer practice. But I would I would recommend this to racers. Um, we would go out, and I'd say, hey, I'm a little faster than you in some of these corners I noticed. So if I'm faster than you, I'm going to come up right beside you, and I'm going to show you a wheel um, anytime I can whether it's inside or outside, but I'm going to back off. I'm going to let you have the corner. And we go around a few laps and we just kind of be trading places a little bit and coming up to the side of each other. And we both trust each other. We both know each other's skill level at this point. We both ridden each other with each other for a couple of years. And uh, he's like, man, you doing that helped me drop like two seconds because, you know, he's leaving time on the table in the breaking zone or yeah. I'm, I'm showing him he can get on the gas a little sooner because he's on a 1,000. I'm on a 600. So it's a little different. You can't always use that power that's that's in your bike. You know, it's 60 yep. to 80 horsepower difference, but he's got a Ferrari with 400 pounds. I got a Miata with 400 pounds. You know, it's yep. a lot even though it's a 600, it still does you know, 160, 150, uh, depending on the track you're going to. But um, it's so helpful to have that one-on-one -on -one coaching, even if if it's your friend. Or if it's a it's a USMCA certified coach. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, and that's that's absolutely right. I I probably wouldn't even be in the sport if I hadn't sought some sort of coaching or, or yeah, coaching to and, and implemented some sort of training into my riding. So just looking to help back and also make some money at it. You know, it's it's a, it's a job. Um, but uh, you want to do a good job and provide a real service to people um, and uh, want to help. I think to grow the sport, we should start with kids. We should start with um, strider bikes programs in, in like elementary school, preschool, like get them on strider bikes. And maybe um, like it's not going to be publicly funded by the school district. I get that. Motorsports is going to be half have to be funded outside of uh, the districts. However, I think you can still introduce it as a program that they can do outside of the school, like um, soccer and hockey and baseball and football are all school activities. Why can't you have motorsports as a, another outside school activity? Um, I think if you started that with XR fifties, like a writing program for kids, or um, if you really want to get into road racing, I think somebody needs to go buy like 20 fleets of Ovale motorcycles and start a riding program in uh, big major cities for kids. Like go to kart tracks, have these fleets that they don't have to spend four or five thousand dollars on a motorcycle. They can come rent one for a hundred bucks, or I don't know what you have, whatever you figure out is reasonable. And uh, they come with their gear. Maybe you have gear rentals um, if they don't have gear, um, but or I'll have a resource for them to buy gear. You know, have all these resources available to them. This is where you get gear. You know, you have to have a step-by-step -step process because when I was growing up, there was no like, hey, this is how you get into racing. I had no idea. Like my parents weren't into it. 
I liked bikes, I but I was a kid. Like, how do I do this? I have no idea. It always yeah. seemed like so far away. Um, I'd see bikes on TV, like, oh, that's really cool, but it seems expensive. I don't know how to do it. Um, so I think we should just try to lay it, lay the groundwork for people so it's not such a, a scary or I don't know how to do it kind of uh, feeling for people. Yeah. No, that's that's a great idea. It's a, it's a spectacular sport. And with that, I guess, comes a stigma of it's too dangerous or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, making it a little more accessible and making it a little more um, educated, I guess, <laughs> educating people about it. it the, the consequences are high. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that sounds like, a that's a, that's a good thought on that for sure. Yeah. You got to start them young because I started, um, when I was about 14, uh, unfortunately that's like 10 years late <laughs> in this sport. Yeah. So my wife and I have a, he's, he's just over two now. Um, and he kind of has been immersed into two-wheeled sport i mean we took him to road america for ccs when he was nine weeks old or something yeah. so uh he's he's been in it um and we bought him a strider bike around his first birthday and he didn't really we didn't buy the rocking horse thing for it either we just you know set the strider bike up he loved going up and playing with the wheels and we went camping last october when he would have been he was around 18 months a little more than 18 months and he just got on it started riding around and now he's uh there's they call it the little devil's bike park or whatever down here at, at the urban wilderness and it's a little paved uh bmx course and he'll take the strider bike out there and just go up and down and rip around on it and uh, he just loves it i don't really coach him on it i he's too he just but it's just what he loves to do um but it's just really cool to see him do something that he enjoys that much. He just, uh, he just loves getting on it and riding bikes. So yeah, it's like the most pure version of myself, <laughs> I guess you could say. So minus a couple of years, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For <laughs> sure. So. Um, it's exciting though. It's cool to see something or somebody grow like that, especially somebody you made. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Um, it's definitely a totally different experience than I would have imagined. But um, yeah, I'm I'm honestly amazed with the things he can do on a Strider bike. Um, just because he wants to do them, he just goes out and he he'll try things. He'll get up. So at the bike park, there's kind of a higher level, and it kind of goes down into a bowl like a typical BMX or skate park might be. So he won't just send it off the edge. He'll walk up to the top and it'll get off the bike and he'll push the bike down just to see what happens. <laughs> and that's kind of his test to like, okay, man, I don't want that to happen to me. So I'll go this way. Yeah. But it's really, yeah, it's cool to see that process in such a young, uh, you know, human. So really cool. Yeah, he's like, oh, that's a little too much for me. I'm not going to do that right now. I'm going to save myself. Yeah, yeah. So there is some, like, uh, self-preservation uh, already going on. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, you got to have that, I, I think. But that's where, you know, being able 
you know, as a, I guess, fully grown motorcycle racer, you know, being able, you can ask self-preservation and with the training that backs it up, you know, if you do this, this is going to work. Right. And yeah, you do so... that every time. Now, that's not to say, all right, I did this, this works. Let me try this little bit extra and see if that works. And that's how you kind of sneak up on the limit you know, getting faster and faster. So it's, uh, that's what's so cool about the process is because you, you're always looking to unlock potential. Yeah. And, um, for people who don't know, they think you're just crazy. Like you're just sending it all laps and you yeah. don't know what you're doing out there. You're, you're being reckless. Like, well, <laughs> not always. Yeah. Like I feel it like it's offensive uh, that the police say if you're over a certain mile per hour, it's automatically reckless driving. You don't know what the those drivers' skills are. That could yeah. be like a totally normal thing for them, um, but um, they just always categorize that as a certain thing. So, like when I was getting into racing, my dad didn't didn't know that I was reading all these books about how to ride and taking these schools and these classes. And so he's like, "Well, how do you know what you're doing?" Like, "Well, because it's repeatable. It's it's not. Yeah. There's two ways to go fast." You can either do it being completely stupid and just sending it, or you can do it with technicality and skill and like a process that you apply to everything. And so if you do it the, the dumb way and just send it, yeah, you're probably going to crash a whole lot. But if you have like a good technique, it's repeatable. It makes sense. You can explain it to somebody. And so, yeah, you might have these survival reactions um, that come up in your head like, oh, I'm going too fast. But if you chop the throttle that's going to make it worse. So there's counterintuitive things about motorcycle racing, like counter steering or counterweight or, you know, not chopping the throttle to save a crash, actually getting on the throttle or maintaining your throttle um, is uh, something you just kind of have to push through and understand as you change in your learning process. Like the things we teach you at level one of an MSF course sometimes no longer apply when you're an expert racer. Right, the things that they change as you go along and progress, and they should. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's uh, that's cool. It's you know on the racetrack, so often we're chasing things like the lap time or like dragging your knee or, or all this stuff. The lap time matters. Don't get me wrong, but it's kind of the end goal, and it should be a goal instead of something you're trying to do. And there's a really cool analogy. If you're familiar with Bodie Miller, uh, the Olympic skier, he's retired now, I think, but he's a really impressive skier on one of his Olympic runs. You see him finish the run, he gets to the bottom, and you see him nodding. And it's like he's checking off the boxes. And then when they show his time and result, he knows it. Like, so that's that's what I'm pursuing on the racetrack, like being able, and you're never going to get, you, you could, you could go to Mark Marquez or, or even Jorge Lorenzo or Josh Hayes even and say, tell me your perfect lap. And I guarantee, I mean, I'm sure they would pick something. There's yeah. something on that lap. Ah, I didn't have my, you know, I was a millimeter off that the apex here and I was a little late to the gas and maybe, that kind of thing but the the pursuit of that is what's what's super exciting about the sport just to be able to 
know what you did, know what you should do, and keep trying to align those things. So it's yeah. it's pretty fantastic. It's pretty uh, it's a pretty difficult sport. That's why I like it so yeah. much. It's not like you just you do it one day and then you finish it. There's no finish. There's no end point. You know, I yeah. think Jason DeSello said one time at his schools, he said, um, you know, how many perfect laps do you think some uh, professional even has in their career? Probably very, very few, unless you're like Mark Marquez or something. Yeah. Unless you're one of the top, you know, winningest riders. A perfect lap is a lap record. And yeah. uh, it's it's pretty rare that those lap records stay around for very long. Um, yeah. So you could say it's a perfect lap, and the next year someone beats it. Is it still a perfect lap? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I, I would say even those lap records, somebody somebody could come back and say, "I bet I had another. I bet I had another hundred. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I had another hundred always... right here." Technology is always improving, so your tires are always getting better. The bikes are getting better. The engines are more efficient. You know, the brakes are stopping them quicker, and different compounds are being released. So um, that that goalpost is always moving. And yeah. uh, at some point, the machines are going to be too fast for the racetracks. And and maybe you could argue sometimes they are now, um, but it's going to take a lot of money to rebuild all of the racetracks in the country to to have no walls anywhere, um, which would be yeah. my goal. Yeah, that's, that's, I don't know how far away that is. But 20, 30 that's a years. Good point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I hope we're still racing motorcycles at that time, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, the things they're starting to do in MotoGP with aerodynamics and your your I don't I don't think it's truly active suspension. Maybe it is, I think, but with the lowering the hydraulic lowering of the rear chassis and the front chassis, those kind of things. I it's gonna be interesting to see where that goes because we're already seeing horsepower I mean, that's why we have electronics on, on 1,000cc sport bikes and electronics packages on MotoGP because you can only manage, like the motorcycle can only manage so much. So um, I think the, the differences in speed are going to come from other areas. I, I kind of hope I'm wrong because I like horsepower and speed and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's going to be cool to see how that goes. Um, I, I hope, I hope, we'll be in a place where, uh, you know, either new racetracks can be constructed with safe runoff areas or, you know, the current racetrack runoff areas could be adjusted. Sure. And like some of these, you know, 60 year old racetracks are going to have to be completely redesigned for that to happen. Um, it's very unlikely, but tracks like Coda that were recently developed, are like a, a shining star and like do more like this we love this everybody loves those kind of kinds of tracks now it does create problems for um for race control because now they have to monitor okay did you go wide how many times did you go wide did you touch the green paint so there's now issues with that but i'd much rather be disqualified or lose a position from running wide than hit a wall ever yeah it's a way better problem <laughs> Um, but, yeah, it, 
I, I've yet to hit a wall, thankfully. Um, and, and honestly, I mean, I'm on a modern 1000. I feel pretty safe at the tracks that, that, that I race on. Um, obviously, there's places where you don't want to crash, but I think the Air Fence Fund has done a good job of putting up air fence in those areas. Definitely. That's been a huge lifesaver. Unfortunately, when I crashed in Wera, they didn't use any air fence, and I hit a steel barrier. I hit the pit wall at about 120 miles an hour. Oh, man. After I high-sided. I happened to be at like a 45-degree angle into the into the wall, and so uh, it was not a good one. But uh, so the problem is like amateur organizations don't have the money to – to deploy air fence because like at road Atlanta, when we put them out, there are 65, 28 foot air fence bags. Like that's a lot of money for an yeah. organization to pay for. I've heard the number years ago was like $10,000 per, per bag, but I think it's come down to about maybe 5,000. Um, but still that's how many thousands of dollars for, for uh, all those bags. It's a lot of money. Yeah, for sure. But it's, Man, it's so great that they're out there. It would be paid for in one person's hospital bills, like the equivalent. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So if you look at it that way, it's like a drop in the bucket. Yeah. So absolutely. But uh, but yeah. So uh, I'm going to be going down to Virginia International Raceway coming up. I've never been there. I hear I should bring my bathing suit because they have a great pool. I guess. Okay. Um, <laughs> But uh, I've, I haven't been there, so I'm going to be camping, driving down Monday, the fir- August 1st, and I'll be taking a uh, California Superbike School class as a student. Um, that'll be my first race school since, I think, the Jason DeSalvo Speed Academy years ago. Yeah. So then uh, that was probably 2012. So it's been a good 10 years since I had my last race school as a student. So I'm, I'm excited to get some learning. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to be – getting evaluated to become a coach for them. Um, so that's like three months they do of on-track coaching and riding throughout the country. So that'll be uh, pretty much a dream job. Um, and helping people learn how to ride motorcycles at the racetrack is a little faster than the MSF stuff, so a little bit more up my alley. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I talked to Travis Wyman years ago, uh, maybe a year or two ago on the podcast. It was not that long ago, but <laughs> – yeah, it's funny you bring that up because I just listened to that podcast oh, yeah, a couple of days ago. And so my my bells were going off when you brought up California Superbike School because you guys had a conversation about that. That's awesome. So because we had that conversation, mm-hmm. my bells started, my gears started turning. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, man, I really need to look into this coaching stuff, which is why I got MSF certified, which is why I got the USMCA certified. And uh, now I'm looking at the California Superbike School as another gig. So yeah. uh, without talking to him, um, I would have even thought this was an option because I've I've done STT, Sport Bike Track Time, for so many years. And um, their coaching program is a little different. Um, I think they provide free track time to their coaches, uh, which is great. But I'm looking for a job, you know, I, yeah, yeah. for a paycheck. So their model is great in that. They offer free coaches to to everybody. So if you sign up for a track day, there's coaches available to work with you on a, on a pretty selective basis, whether it's one-on-one or one-on-five people. Um, and so they have their model is coaches are already available. 
this California Superbike is a different model. It's a purely, it's like a Jason DeSalvo school where it's purely mm -hmm. a race school and that's all that's going on, I think. So yeah. um, it's much more one-on-one -on -one coaching intensive than the STT. It's just different. So yeah. uh, I found this and uh, hopefully it'll be a good, good deal. So I'm yeah. excited about it. Good deal. That is, that is exciting. It's uh, and VR is a cool track. I'd uh, considering going there next year, but I'm gonna have to do some work before I get back out there. So. I've been uh, playing it on the video games, trying to. I mean, I, lo I know the layout, but I've never been there, so it's like I gotta like get to a good lap time on the controller before I get to uh, do it in real life. Yeah. So I know where everything is. I know the layout. I know, and I know how to make passes too, so I can work in traffic and like where's a good passing zone, where's not a good passing zone, because there's there's corners that you could maybe make a pass at any track, but it's probably not recommended, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's awesome. I, uh, yeah, I guess you do the eye racing stuff. Is that is that right? Well, um, I don't actually have the eye racing, but um, I've been doing uh, Ride Four, okay, motorcycle game, and I'm pretty sure the Ride Four has the North Course, the the Full Course, and then there's like three different layouts for VIR. Yeah, um, that's been doing those, but. Uh, my dad actually came over a couple of days ago and he helped me um, help me fix my simulator. It's been broken uh, for months and we just finally got it working again. The The hardware of it, it never had any issues, but the I bought the cheapest rig that I could find to mount it to because they're expensive. Like for a, for a really good rig to mount your, your simulator wheel and pedals to, you're going to spend like $1,000. So I yeah. bought one for like 250 bucks and it broke, turns out, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we fixed it. We just built like a box of wood and a little notch for some different things in the, in the frame. And uh, I will say I got the, the design from my buddy uh, Steve Builds. So if you need anything from uh, woodworking or, or shutters built on your house or tables, go to Steve Builds. He's over on Instagram. He gave me the design for it because I don't know what I'm doing with woodworking stuff yet. Gotcha. Um, but um but yeah, so we fixed it and I'm doing Assetto Corsa Competizione, which is a current GT World Championship game. So if you were looking to do esports, um that's a great game for it. But uh yeah, iRacing is probably where where the the most fun is be, because uh you can buy tracks a la carte. You can buy like your local track, uh Road Atlanta, you could buy Barber, you could buy any track basically in the world. Um, I think it's maybe $15, $10, a track. It's not incredibly expensive. And you can be practicing your your Moto America tracks that you're going to be doing or your Wera series tracks, Granton, Gingerman. I think they're all on there. They do dirt tracks, road racing tracks. I don't know if there's like drag strips, um, but uh, all of them, like every major track you can think of and local tracks are on iRacing. But the yeah. catch is you got to do like a monthly subscription and you got to buy everything a la carte. Like you got to buy every car with, with cash. So yeah. like, oh, I don't want to like spend a ton of money on this. So I, the Assetto Corsa is like not too far below iRacing. I think it's right there. It's a current world championship game. So it's nothing, uh, nothing bad about it. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I, uh, I am still rolling with the playstation 2 with moto gp 07 uh, at least you're getting uh, the feel for it right yeah so it doesn't do much for you know learning a track layout but 
the physics are pretty good on that game and it really does help me focus on my process because the same thing happens. If you go and you just try to hang it out and do a fast lap time, you're going to, you're going to mess up something. What I've found is I mess up something and I don't do the fast lap, lap time or I crash. But if I break it down and say, okay, I go to the brakes here and I hold it to here and I get on the throttle here and the bike needs to be here and focus on all those little pieces that's helpful. Like I can, I can translate just working through that process sets me up for the next time I go on the racetrack. Now the controls I'm using and the bike placement, that's all going to be different because I'll, I'll be at road Atlanta instead of Mizano, but and on a real, and on a real bike instead of an A or B button. But, um, you know, the, the mental aspect of going through that process is, I've found I, it's, it's, it's super critical. Like it's super critical to being able to improve and being able to just do your best on the racetrack. So. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, I get in my mentality sometimes like, okay, I know this is a game. I know it doesn't matter, but imagine a scout is watching right now and this is your opportunity to show them what you can do, you know, go through it, make no mistakes, see what the best you can possibly do is. And if you get in that mentality, um, you're trying to hit every marker, inch perfect, millimeter perfect. You go out on the on the supermoto, you go out on the sport bike, and um, you have that same mentality. You're familiar with that that focus level. You're familiar with trying to do your best, and it's not um, you don't feel out of your element anymore because you're used to doing that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we've got about an hour and a half. Is there anything else you want to talk about today? I'm uh, I'm just excited to get back on the race bike this weekend at Road Atlanta. Um, I think I've got some good things to work on there, and I think it's going to translate to some good racing uh, performances in September when I go back with Wira. Um, so that's uh, that's we've already kind of touched on that, but I'm just pretty excited to get out there, and I'm really excited to. Uh, be on your podcast this is really cool to be able to talk about my story a little bit and uh hopefully i i think it'll it'll benefit somebody out there it's it's funny i i put a lot of my gopro videos on youtube for my own i guess reference and i also use that to send to ken hill before i started working so much with data and I was at Talladega last year for the first race, and this guy walks up to me. And he's like, "Oh yeah, you're Mark Cowan. I've been watching your your YouTube videos for this track." And I was like, "I'm sorry, you should <laughs> probably be watching that." <laughs> but no, it's it it was it. I, that's something that wouldn't have happened five years ago. So anyway, just an interesting thing. Um, Excited to be, you know, part of the road racing community. Excited to be a road racer and doing all the, the things that go with it. Absolutely, man. Happy to help promote you. And uh, before we leave, where can people find you online? Where are you on the interwebs? Yeah, so on Instagram, it's at MarkCowan79. Um, and just look me up on Facebook, Mark Cowan, Mark.Cowan.18, I think is what it is. But just search for my name and look for the guy on the black R1 
Uh, you can look me up on YouTube. Just search my name, Mark Cowan, and you'll see my YouTube channel. It's some GoPro footage of a R1. So those are those are the places you can find me. I'm most active on Instagram. My Facebook is basically a mirror image of my of my Instagram. Um, and I, I I'll give a quick shout out to 6D Helmets who've been supporting me for the past couple of years. I've gone through a few of their helmets and I'm really impressed with their technology and their service. I just started working with Yoshimura Exhaust again this season and uh, that's been great. Ken Hill Coaching has has been absolutely critical to my success in my race program. And th- those are those are the major players in the uh, in my program. So I'm really glad I, I got the opportunity to talk to you. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad to help share your story. And uh, is there anybody that you have your eye on that uh, you're looking at who's coming up, up and comers in the racing community, motorsports? Oh, wow. There's there. I think the quality is getting really good among the Wira experts. I think, I think, I don't know that he has a, an Instagram um, or a social media account, but Dan Kruger has been winning a lot of 1000 CC races um, this season. I know Vasily Zulin. I don't know how available he is, but he's a, uh, he's, he's a buddy of mine, but he's been riding really well at a high level for uh, several years now on our R1. Um, you know, but those are, those are two main ones I can think of. So. Well, very good. I guess we'll wrap this up and uh, I'll get this posted in maybe a week or so. I don't know if it'll be out before uh, August 1st. I already have another one. I got to edit and post, but uh, I get this. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. And uh, I'll be sure to share it as much as possible. Good deal. Yep. Thanks so much, Eric. All right. Have a great day. Yeah. You too. Thanks. Yep. Bye-bye.